And we are rolling. This is Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast, and welcome to the debut episode of the program. My name is Alex Painter, and I am the host and founder of the podcast, and thank you for opting to spend a little bit of your time with me to talk about some of our beloved Irish football. Now, before we get going, we do have a few housekeeping things to discuss. First, if you haven't already, please feel free to like and follow Onward to Victory's Facebook page, which is found simply at facebook.com slash Onward to Victory podcast. If you feel so compelled and empowered to share it, I would greatly appreciate that. More on that here soon. But I will be posting updates, uh, any additional Irish insights, if there's a contest or giveaway. I will be posting all that there. And I can also promise that I won't be incessantly on your news feed, um, but maybe something here weekly, twice a week or so, something here and there. But this operation will be ever-growing, but it will definitely need the support of you, since by my estimation, most podcasts have two primary components, uh, someone to speak into the microphone, and also uh, listeners. So I really appreciate, again, your support. And the fact that you're, again, taking time to, to listen to this <clears throat> podcast. So, and speaking of, if you enjoy this episode, please feel free to share it on Facebook. Now, everyone who does share this episode on Facebook will be automatically put into a drawing for our first giveaway, which is a 2014 Upper Deck Canvas Collection football card signed by former Irish tight end Troy Nicholas. Most notably, having played for the Arizona Cardinals, also spent a little bit of time with the New England Patriots. But it's a great-looking card, and it can be yours if you share this episode. I will be posting pictures of it, and I will be sure to announce a winner uh, in a future episode. But if you have any comments, questions, rants, or you just want to sound off, uh, please feel free to send the show a message, which you can do so, of course, on Facebook. But we also have an email address. So you can also email us at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com. Now, I promise I will do my best to read all of the emails and messages on the air. Uh, we are trying to keep it as family-friendly and clean as possible. So if, if it kind of abides by that, for the most part, uh, I, can, I can promise you it will get, a, uh, get read here in a future episode. And as I mentioned before, I think now for the third time, any support you can give this project will be ever so gratefully appreciated and I will graciously, graciously accept. So some of you may have noticed the opening music to this episode, which this, it comes courtesy of producer, composer, or lyricist Joseph Rakish. Uh, he also goes by Joseph Alter professionally. But the song is called Knut Rockney. And I don't know if this is just a me thing, I highly doubt it, but when I'm readying myself for Saturday Irish football games, I have a pregame playlist, uh, mostly Irish or Irish-related type songs, and Canoe Rockney's been on my pregame Irish playlist for a number of years now. Uh, I believe it uh, sets the tone for the show very well, but you can find this song and 
all of Joseph's other songs on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, uh, YouTube, wherever, however you digest music. And a special thank you to Joseph for allowing the show exclusive usage of the song. So please support him. I will be uh, posting some of those links also on the Facebook page. Now, I'll mention the Facebook page multiple times over the course of this episode. If you haven't noticed, the Facebook page will kind of be the HQ for the entire show. So everything's going to kind of funnel through that. The podcast itself will be hosted by Podbean and perhaps other platforms, but the, the links for the episodes will be shared on Facebook. Now, by my count, there are at least six active to semi-active Notre Dame football podcasts available right now. So let's talk briefly about what I hope will make this one just a bit different and a bit about goals, uh, shall we? Because I believe both are important, both to have goals and also, you know, how to differentiate yourself from from others. So what's going to be different? Uh, I'm going to fashion this as a Notre Dame variety show of some kind. So the idea will be to have drastically different episodes every single time out and make sure that we're doing different things. Uh, So it, it could be deep dives about the history of the school and the football program through stories, uh, player profiles, conversations with people with interesting perspective. Statistical analysis, uh, X's and O's of the current edition of the Irish, listener engagement, bests of lists, uh, book discussions, you name it. Uh, Any of those. Honestly, the only rules I may have made for myself is that it has to be entertaining, listener-friendly, and pertain directly or indirectly with the Notre Dame fight in Irish. So, yeah, a variety show. It's kind of something that's been kind of knocking around my brain, uh, if any of you are familiar, you know, with like those old variety shows from like the 1960s, you know, whether it was Carol Burnett or Andy Williams or Glenn Campbell, I'll be honest, all three of those predate my time, but I am very familiar with them, where honestly, from scene to scene, from segment to segment, you just didn't know what was coming. You just knew it was going to be funny or entertaining, and so will probably be a little less humorous, naturally, than those uh, luminaries. But, you know, hopefully hopefully it is entertaining and it will pertain to, to uh, Notre Dame. And as I mentioned in the introductory Facebook page post, uh, maybe some of you have read it, but the goals of the podcast are simple. And that is to be the very best provider of Notre Dame fighting Irish football content around. Now, I'm sure most of you follow Notre Dame football, and you probably follow it on the interwebs, but this definitely will not mean that Onward to Victory will be churning out the most content, because if you do follow Notre Dame football, you know that this is probably nearly impossible. But the aim will be to provide captivating information, insight, interpretation of the past, the present, and the future of Notre Dame football. So I studied history in college, which tends to pair very well with Notre Dame and and Irish football. And so, like I said, probably not the most content, but hopefully it's one of those things that we can all kind of look forward to, uh, that we can all kind of own a piece of, uh, because that is is my goal. Because my second goal uh, is to create a community of passionate folks who appreciate Irish football and who would like to connect with others with a similar interest. Passion loves company. And... Just judging off of who has liked the page, we have followers from all over the country. 
Um, and so if you're based here in Indiana, like I'm based in East Central Indiana, it's not all that difficult to find Notre Dame fans. However, uh, if you're saying Albuquerque, New Mexico, it very well could be. So the goal here, the second primary goal is to, again, try to connect everybody with people who uh, you know are hopefully positive, like-minded, uh, and who enjoy Notre Dame football and all of its facets. But again, the aim is to always provide an accessible program to everyone who just loves Notre Dame football. Lord knows I do. Uh, I have for a really long time, and unfortunately, oftentimes my Sundays are kind of dictated, my mood on Sunday, I should say, is kind of dictated by how well the Irish have played the, the previous day. So if you're like me, hopefully you're going to enjoy this. So that's actually going to bring us to our first piece of programming here. And so on the Facebook page, there were some clues offered to kind of tease who will be the first subject for uh, our Shamrock sketches, which will be kind of our player profiles uh, for the program. So here they are. So this man would be actually celebrating his 98th birthday today on June 18th. So again, 98 years old today. Was once quoted that if his first coach, Elmer Layden of the Four Horsemen fame, stayed at Notre Dame, quote, I don't think I would have made the traveling squad. He enjoyed his finest professional football season in 1946 as a member of the Los Angeles Dons, tossing seven touchdown passes. Albeit, the Dons played their home games at USC's football stadium. I'm sure he hated every minute of it. But he was also inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1972. Now, we received a ton of really good guesses, really good guesses. But congratulations to Casey Tully of Fort Wayne, Indiana, who was able to guess the correct answer. And that is Notre Dame's first Heisman Trophy winner, Angelo Bertelli. So without further ado, Onward to Victory presents Angelo Bertelli, the Iwo Jima Heisman. I was a fourth-string tailback on the freshman team and a terrible runner. These words don't exactly exude confidence, and you certainly wouldn't expect them uttered from someone who just three years later would be named the nation's best collegiate football player in 1943. The same year, he would be shipped off to war, eventually finding himself in the dark, dirty, and deadly trenches of Iwo Jima, embroiled in one of the grittiest, bloodiest campaigns for the United States during World War II. Angelo Bertelli was born on June 18, 1921, in West Springfield, Massachusetts, to Italian immigrant parents. West Springfield is also noteworthy for Leo the Lip DeRocher, who was a very famous Major League Baseball manager. At Cathedral High School in Springfield, Bertelli, who quickly became known as Bert, won All-State honors in football, baseball, and hockey. And just to show his well-roundedness, he was also the senior class president. Now, Bertelli was a quarterback, and his style actually would have varied from many quarterbacks of the 
late 1930s and early 1940s. And that was that he was not a running quarterback. In fact, his frame was fairly small for what would have been considered a running quarterback for the day. And he was six foot one and less than 173 pounds. Bertelli relied heavily on the forward pass, which caught the eye of many college scouts. And Bertelli ended up with lots of scholarship opportunities, but he ultimately chose to attend the University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Ohio, to play for Elmer Layden of the Four Horsemen fame. But when Bert arrived in South Bend in the fall of 1940, he found that his life as a Notre Dame football player was not what he had expected. The Irish undercoach Layden used the famed Notre Dame box, which was created by Knut Rockney, much like the single wing, but it relied heavily on the quarterback running the football as well as a variety of tailbacks and fullbacks. Now again, Bertelli had been celebrated for his passing in high school and did not prefer, nor have much talent to be frank, for running the football from the quarterback position. So as a result, he was buried in the depth chart as a freshman. And he would later say he was quite miserable that first year. Uh, didn't know if this had been the right choice for him, if Notre Dame was a good fit for him. Which is actually where one of our clues manifests itself, as Bertelli would later say. Uh, he admitted, had Elmer Layden stayed at Notre Dame, I don't think I ever would have made the traveling squad. But at the end of Bertelli's freshman year, Coach Layden actually accepted a position to become the commissioner of the new 10-team National Football League. And Frank Leahy, former Boston College coach, was tabbed to succeed him. So during the summer of 1941, so this is before Bertelli's sophomore year at Notre Dame, he earned 50 cents an hour, helping put two coats of paint on each of the 54,000 seats at Notre Dame Stadium. So when the fall came and he turned in his paintbrush to pick up his leather helmet, he was shocked to see that Coach Leahy had put him at the top of the depth chart. Even more shocking was that he put him at tailback, where Leahy and Bertelli both knew that he was not a strong runner. But Leahy reasoned that if you hand the ball off to Burt, Burt could turn around and throw it, and the offense could pick up chunks of yards using this deception. Many thought he was crazy, that this, this ploy would never work. But the strategy actually worked. It did, actually did. And Notre Dame rolled to an 8-0-1 season during the 1941 year. And the only non-victory was a scoreless tie with Army, who at the time was, of course, a huge powerhouse. But Bertelli that year completed an unheard of 57% of his passes. Uh, and he finished second, actually, that year in the Heisman voting, uh, second to Minnesota's running back Bruce Smith. In 1943, Bertelli, now a junior, led the Irish to a 7-2-2 record, which was, to be frank, a bit of a disappointment for the high expectations they had going into the season. But Bertelli had a really nice season, and he finished sixth place that year in the Heisman Trophy voting. Expectations were incredibly high for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team going into 1943. This would be Angelo Bertelli's third year starting under center, and having received Heisman votes the previous two seasons, nothing short of a national championship was expected. And for the first six games, Notre Dame delivered. 
sporting four shutouts and beating every team by at least three touchdowns. Notre Dame, Angelo Bertelli at the helm, were readying themselves to take their perfect 6-0 record to play the Army squad, ranked number three in the entire country, looking to avenge the tie from the season before. But soon, football was the last thing that was on Angelo Bertelli's mind. For in 1943, war had been raging across Europe and across the Pacific for a number of years at that point, and Bertelli was formally inducted into the United States Marine Corps. He was a member of the 3rd Marine Division and the 21st Regiment, and he was ordered to report immediately to Paris Island, South Carolina for boot camp. It was an awful, drizzly night, Bertelli later told Sports Illustrated, recalling the train ride he took out of South Bend. I was very upset. I had been looking forward to playing well against Army, and the next thing I knew, I was in boot camp. So while Bertelli was in boot camp, Notre Dame continued without him, beating Army and the next two games, pushing their record to 9-0. and zero. Johnny Lujak would fill in for Bertelli at quarterback. As it should be noted, Coach Leahy actually uh, incorporated a wing T formation uh, to put Bertelli under center to take advantage of his prowess as a passer. And this had actually been done before the 1942 season. On November 27th, the 9-0 Notre Dame Fighting Irish with Johnny Lujak under center traveled to Chicago, Illinois to Comiskey Park to take on a Navy team, the Great Lakes Naval Team. Bertelli, listening from boot camp, next to the radio, was hanging on to every single play. And unfortunately, the Irish lost a last-minute decision, 19-14. to 14. So head down, Bertelli walked out of the recreation hall. Uh, as he was walking down the sidewalk, he heard his name called. Uh, he braced for words of consolation as it spread quickly. That, I mean, first of all, everyone knew who Bertelli was at this point. He was something of a celebrity. But he, it also spread quickly that Notre Dame had, in fact, lost. So... He braced for words of consolation that he just really didn't want to hear, but instead the man handed him a telegram. Bertelli had it in his hand, and he kind of switched it from hand to hand nervously, kind of toyed with it for a little bit, because during wartime, telegrams were not welcome surprises. Normally they did not carry good news. They carried uh, oftentimes very grim news. But he slit the seal, and he found out that he had won the Heisman Trophy that year by an overwhelming margin of 648 votes to 177. Bertelli had just been named the nation's top collegiate football players after mere six games that season. And as a result of his celebrity, he was actually placed at the regimental headquarters for his outfit, where he served as a recreation and morale officer. Uh, sometimes these People in these positions would do USO-type things, make appearances. Now, certainly a Heisman Trophy winner would have carried a high profile uh, throughout the camp. And so that's what he did for most of the war. Uh, he was able to reconnect with uh, Coach Leahy, who actually was named the recreational officer himself for a number of submarines, which is to be said. Maybe euphemistically he was actually recruiting sailors to join the Fighting Irish football team. But regardless, there were several photos of Bert and Coach Leahy together, publicity shots that were shared across the servicemen's newspaper. 
As the war was winding down, the United States identified a strategy that they believed would be most effective in defeating the Japanese forces. It was not a mainland invasion of Japan, but more of an island hopping strategy, also known as leapfrogging, where they would jump from small island to small island that were important to the Japanese war effort. So they would try to disable the airfields, cut the communication lines, capture the soldiers, whatever it took, whatever it took. And again, with the intention of avoiding a mainland invasion of Japan, which would prove dearly, prove costly for both sides. Now, the Marine Corps was tasked with taking an island, a small island south of Japan called Iwo Jima, where 21,000 Japanese soldiers awaited. So in late February of 1945, the 3rd Marine Division and Bertelli's Regiment, the 21st, landed and began to take Iwo Jima by storm. And before we begin the next part of this uh, segment, I just wanted to give a quick notice that there will be sounds of war being played. Uh, so just in case anybody happens to be sensitive to those. Within the second day of the Iwo Jima battle, frontline officer casualties began to run high. And at that point, battalion and regimental officers were called to fill the gaps in the front. Now, it would not be ideal that a recreational and morale officer would be serving on the front lines. Though Bertelli was combat trained, he was certainly less seasoned than a lot of his Marine mates. But Bertelli was called to lead a platoon on the second day of the battle. Once he hit the front lines, he is, his platoon immediately experienced withering Japanese mortar fire. And he experienced a close call when an enemy mortar exploded nearby, which killed a medical corpsman who was less than five yards next to him. As they moved up the beach, they came to a bunker. Bertelli, using his throwing arm, began throwing grenades at the bunker trying to clear out the inhabitants. He was amazed when one of his grenades was actually thrown back at him. Eventually, they were able to overrun the outpost. He recalls later the most agonizing cry from a Marine who was hit by a napalm bomb, which burned through his clothing and his flesh. The bomb was meant for the enemy, but it had fell on the Allied lines. He would later say, the pain is greater when hit by friendly fire. You expect to be hit by the enemy, but not your own forces. After nearly a month of fighting into March, the battle was finally over. Of the 21,000 Japanese soldiers who inhabited the island at the start of the battle, only 200 surrendered. Bertelli's regiment suffered nearly 1,600 casualties, including 370 killed. On September 2nd, 1945, less than six months after the end of Iwo Jima, the Allied powers celebrated VJ Day, Victory in Japan Day. When Bertelli returned home, he returned to a professional football career, which he played three seasons. He was also getting looks 
from the Boston Bruins of the National Hockey League, as well as the Cleveland Indians of Major League Baseball. This is a true testament to the athleticism that Bertelli possessed. Throughout the rest of his life, Bertelli was very humble about his winning of the Heisman Trophy. In fact, if you were to go into his house while he was still living, you actually, unless it was pointed out to you, might actually look past the Heisman. Uh, actually, it was known to be used from time to time as a doorstop. Now, Bertelli was enormously proud to have won the Heisman, later saying, I know it's going to be my epitaph. But he said, I happen to be in the right place at the right time with the perfect coach. Angelo Bertelli would ultimately lose a battle with brain cancer, passing away on June 26th, 1999. And I hope you enjoyed that shamrock sketch of Angelo Bertelli, the Iwo Jima Heisman. I believe something that will always be striking to me about him was his perspective. He knew that he had won a very prestigious award, but other things in his life really superseded the individual honor of a Heisman, including being a successful person and raising a good family while also being the son of Italian immigrants, those who spoke very little English, and doing so without a father for the most part. His father was killed in a hit and run when he was only 17 years old. Angelo Bert Bertelli was a person that people could admire due to his gentleness, his compassion, and his empathy. And he will forever be known throughout Notre Dame football history as the first Heisman Trophy winner and a member of the first national championship Irish team that was named as such by the Associated Press. Stay right here. We're going to finish the show with a question of the day. If you have a question today you'd like to submit for consideration for the next show, please message the show on Facebook. Just click the send message button, or you can email the show at onward to victory podcast at gmail.com. So our question for today is what are the top three reasons Notre Dame can return to the college football playoff in 2019? So stay right here. We're going to tackle that next. All right, so here we go. Let's do our question of the day. So what are the top three reasons why Notre Dame can return to the college football playoff in 2019? Of course, everybody knows, uh, made it to the, the, the dance last year, fell to Clemson in the first round. So let's talk about how they can return. I've kind of narrowed it down to three plausible reasons. And if you disagree, if you agree, if you have other reasons, Feel free to throw them out there. Again, put them out on Facebook, uh, send the show an email, and I will certainly have a, a recap where we read any possible additional ones that, that uh, listeners may have suggested. So, number one, I'm saying the schedule, okay? Everybody knows where our highlight games are. So that's, of course, week three, going to Georgia, and a little bit later in the season, going up to Ann Arbor to play Michigan. Georgia and Michigan do represent the only two teams on our 12-game slate that had double-digit wins last year. Now, of our 12 games, seven of which are at home. Uh, of course, our two biggest games, Georgia and Michigan, are both away. But of our 12 games, 
four of the teams that we were playing won three or fewer games, including our first two. So Louisville won two games last year. I think everybody expects them to be just a little bit better. And then we'll follow up uh, f uh, facing Bob Davies' outfit up, uh, you know, I guess, in South Bend, but New Mexico. And then the Georgia game. So the way the schedule lays out, it, it could be very beneficial for the Irish. They will have two games to kind of figure out, uh, you know, figure out a, a solid game plan, but also see what works, what doesn't work uh, as they prepare for Georgia in week three, which will undoubtedly probably be the college game day uh, game of the week. And I think what's becoming more and more antiquated is this idea that teams have to win every single game to make it to the college playoff. Now, of course, Notre Dame did last year. They, they ran it 12-0. Uh, before they made the college playoff. But so after five years of the playoff, so 20 teams, so to speak, have made it, 70 of which had a loss going in. So I think despite having you know some tough games on the schedule, tough road games, uh, losing to Georgia, if Georgia, particularly if Georgia's really good early on, won't be crippling to our hopes. Now, there's a lot of trap games in there, too, and I'm not trying to not respect, you know, the USC's, uh, trying my best to respect them. Uh, they're a midseason matchup, but even like Duke, uh, Duke always gives us a hard time, and the last game of the season is against Stanford, so Stanford went 9-4 and four last year. Uh, you know, Virginia, we've had a hard time with Virginia over the years as well, so uh, I think they're all winnable games. I think they're all winnable games, but I will say that the schedule is as such where if we have a stumble, one stumble, we can still make the college football playoffs. Because let's be honest here, the committee will always be kind to Notre Dame in, in a sense because Notre Dame has, of course, a, a national following. And not to say that they are getting bulls that they don't deserve because people say that about them a lot uh, two years ago against LSU. And there were many who thought Notre Dame had no business being in that bowl, but of course that's when we caught our first glimpse of Ian Book, and it was a super dramatic game, one of the best Irish games I think I've ever watched. So I do think the schedule will parlay well, very nicely I should say, uh, into our success this year. It could be a reason I should say. Number two is the trenches. I think Notre Dame has done an excellent job in the Brian Kelly era of recruiting impact players on both the offensive and the defensive line. So the number here between the five starters is 53. That's how many games started we have amongst our offensive line. So uh, starting from left to right, Liam Eikenberg, a senior, of course, started 12 games last year. And um, left guard, Aaron Banks, who came in and played late, started five games. And center, that is the one position that uh, we don't have as much experience in. So some combination of Jarrett Patterson or Josh Lugg will be probably starting at center. Now that being said, Josh Lugg backs up multiple positions. The coaching staff has a lot of faith in him. And I do believe that center is the easiest position to... Uh, replace. That's no knock on Sam Mustafer. It'll be kind of crazy not seeing him snapping the ball. But technically, typically centers have a little bit less space to block down the offensive line. Uh, Tommy Kramer, who represents our most seasoned lineman, he will be starting at right guard more than likely. He has 23 games he started. And then right tackles Robert Hainsey uh, with 13 games. So uh, you know, what's nice too is that uh, we will be returning some of these guys next year as well. And then on the defensive side, you know, we're very fortunate to have a defensive line that is bookended by two impact defensive ends. So the first is, of course, Julian Aquara, 
who has played in 36 games. And over his career, he's got 17 tackles for loss. And last year, he had eight sacks. So, And on the other side is, of course, uh, Khalid Kareem, who broke out week one against Michigan last year, getting defensive National Defensive Player of the Week. So he's played in 30 games going into this year, and he's got 10.5 tackles for loss last year, 16 on his career, and 4.5 sacks. So 12.5 sacks on the edge coming back. A wonderful, wonderful, uh, a wonderful situation to find to find yourself in when you can not only protect the passer, but also rush the passer. So number two trenches. And speaking of passer, number one is Ian Book. We saw how effective Ian Book could be last year and just how sneaky athletic he truly was, uh, completing nearly 70% of his passes. And of course, the Clemson game did not go as planned, but you know he, he had some very strong showings. So I think we can all anticipate another strong year out of Ian Book. Um, so last year, as I said, 70% uh, of his passes completed, pardon me, very nearly, 68.2, but 19 touchdowns to 7 interceptions, and he also had 4 rushing touchdowns as well. Uh, I think he's an impact player. Uh, I think the consensus is, is that he is a top 12 to 15 quarterback in the country, which anytime you can boast one of those, I think you've got a really excellent chance to win every single Saturday, whether it is you know, a really tough road game. The key for Ian Book is that he has to stay upright and he has to stay healthy. That is my biggest concern, but he has a full off season, a full camp, a full spring ball taking reps with the first stringers. So of course, this is something that happened less frequently last year because Brandon Wimbush started last year, uh, started the first few games until the Wake Forest game, which was Ian's first game out. So he's got a full off season uh, to kind of work on his game and uh, hopefully make big strides here coming into his senior year. So those are the top three reasons. The schedule, the trenches, and our quarterback, Ian Book, why I believe that Notre Dame can make a return to the college football playoffs. I really hope that you have enjoyed this episode, that, the, that you've enjoyed this program. In the effort to, to offer full transparency, this was my first podcast episode ever. So hopefully, again, you enjoyed it. Please, please, please don't hesitate to like and follow uh, our Facebook page. Again, it's facebook.com slash onward to victory. If you've got some Notre Dame friends, feel free to share it with them. Uh, if you like have friends who just like stories or history or World War II, we're going to be covering a lot of this stuff uh, throughout the duration of this podcast, as well as once the season gets going, we're going to be talking about each and every game, breaking it down, while also kind of offering hopefully unique perspectives about Notre Dame. And... Um, Speaking of unique perspectives, our next episode will feature a conversation I was able to recently have with Jim Augustine. Now, for some of you who have been to South Bend before, you may be familiar with Augie's Locker Room. Jim Augustine, also known as Augie, uh, runs and owns Augie's Locker Room, and he has perhaps the most wonderful, I, I mean, not perhaps, he has the most wonderful collection of Notre Dame memorabilia you will ever find. He has wonderful, wonderful perspective. He's a very interesting guy. He's got so many interesting things to say. Uh, I, so I was able to, as I said, sit down and talk with him for about 20 minutes. And he's just a wonderful person. Uh, we ended up sitting and talking for an additional hour after our quote-unquote interview was over. And then he actually offered to buy me lunch, which unfortunately I had to decline. But so next week's episode will be highlighted by a conversation with Augie from Augie's Locker Room. Again, 
a the, the authority on collecting Irish memorabilia. He has stuff that goes all the way back to the Rockney era, and he has personal heirlooms of Rockney. Uh, that is just the level of his collection. So I was able to talk to him. So please, again, share this episode. And if you do share this episode, you will be in the running for the Troy Nicholas signed autograph card. Really cool, really exciting. And like I said, I will post pictures of that. Uh, so that way you can kind of see what you're getting into. I'll be posting things, uh, you know, about uh, the music, as I mentioned, the introduction music, the card, and all of that. So again, happy 98th birthday to the Iwo Jima Heisman, Angelo Bertelli. I should note that throughout the account of Bertelli's life and his experiences at uh, during World War II, I used a multitude of sources, including Sports Illustrated. They published an excellent article um, back in December 7th of 1987 called The Half-Season Heisman. That is available online and it is a wonderful read. As well as a book um, called Nightmare on Iwo Jima, A Marine in Combat, which was published by Fire Ant Books. And it was originally written, um, we get a name, I'm sorry, by Patrick F. Caruso. So again, the book is A Nightmare on Iwo Jima, A Marine in Combat, published by Fire Ant Books, written by Patrick F. Caruso. And I should note that if I use any books for research or if there's any photos used, anything pertaining to the podcast, uh, they are, I have either expressed permission to use them or they're in the public domain. But I will always give credit to any books, as I mentioned, or articles uh, that I might use for research. So, Oh, all right, that I believe wraps up the show. So thank you so much again for joining. Please, please feel free to sound off. Give the show an email. Send us a message. I hope you enjoyed this. So until next time, onward to victory. And as always, go Irish.